Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the appendix of the book of Judges, as we pick up in Judges, chapter 17, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. At this point, the book of Judges as far as its history, ends. What remains in the book of Judges is not now in chronological order. This is an appendix to the book of Judges as we get into chapter 17. And it tells us basically of the moral conditions of the nation of Israel during this time after Joshua And the stories, some of them take us clear back to the time immediately after Joshua. So if you can now shift gears in your mind and go in reverse, we've come to the end of the historic chronological order with Samson. After Samson, there arises then Samuel. We'll get that after we get through the book of Ruth. But now... We're going to get into an appendix and we're going to go back in the next few chapters and examine some of the moral decay that was going on in Israel during the time of the period of the judges. It just gives us an insight to the moral corruptness that existed among God's people during this time when they lacked a real consciousness of God as their king. So the first story begins in chapter 17. There was a man who lived on Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, you remember those 1,100 shekels of silver that were stolen from you and you cursed the person who stole them? He said, let the person who stole this be cursed. He said, hey, mom, I did it. And here are the 1,100 shekels back. And she said, oh, blessed be thou, my son of the Lord, and all. (laughs) I had really intended to take that silver and make some little idols for you. And so she gave him a portion of the silver in order that he might make a little image And he gave them to the founder who made a graven image. And they were in the house of Micah, molten images. And the man Micah had a house of gods, and he made an ephod and a teraphim. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. For in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And therein is a insight into the moral degeneracy, they had lost the fact that God was to be their king. They had lost the consciousness of that fact. And every man, rather than being ruled by God, was doing that which was right in his own eyes. It was a period of anarchy. Everybody just did what he wanted to do, what was right in his own eyes. It is sort of what they are trying to bring to pass in this existentialism. Everybody just relate to experience as you feel that you should relate to it. 
There isn't any really right or wrong way. If it feels good, do it, you know. If it feels right, do it. And uh, this is the kind of chaotic condition that was going on in Israel, this kind of anarchy where everyone was just doing what was right in their own eyes, not really following the government of God or the law of God. Now, Micah, in making these images, was not making really pagan kind of images, but images, no doubt, that would represent God to him. But in the second commandment, God had expressly forbidden making any graven images or likeness of God to bow down and worship. So he was violating the commandment of God, but trying to make an image of God. He was not turning from Jehovah in that sense of making an image of Baal or, or Molech or, or one of the pagan gods, but he was trying to make an image of God. And then with the teraphim and the ephod seeking uh, to tie the whole worship of Jehovah together, making a little worship center in his house where he has his own little idols in the house where he goes to pray and goes to worship. Now, this was expressly forbidden by God. And yet, having lost the consciousness of God's presence, he is wanting something to remind him of the presence of God, and thus he's made his little worship center in his house with his little idols and all, the place where he could go and pray, his own little private altar. Now, whenever a person makes an idol... The very fact that he has made an idol indicates that that person has lost the consciousness of the presence of God. The second thing it indicates is that he is desiring to regain that consciousness of God's presence, and thus he has set up this as a reminder to him of God's presence. And thus it is actually speaking of a desire to regain something that is lost of vitality of relationship with God. Whenever a person has to set up an image or an idol, it is a testimony that that person has lost something vital in his relationship with God. And he needs some kind of a little reminder to remind him of God's presence. And thus, it is always a mark of spiritual deterioration. Any image, any idol of anything is a mark of spiritual deterioration. So it is important to note that Micah wasn't really turning his back on Jehovah, for he even speaks of Jehovah. But he has lost something vital in his relationship with Jehovah, which causes him to make these little images and set up a worship center as a place for his prayers. Now, there was a young man who lived in Bethlehem who was a Levite, and he was living there. But he departed from Bethlehem just sort of looking for a place to live. And he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah on his journey. And Micah said to him, where are you coming from? And he said, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem. 
and I'm journeying that I can find a place. Micah said unto him, If you'll dwell with me and be a priest in my house, I'll give you ten shekels of silver annually and a new suit and all your food. So the Levite went in. Now, here is a deterioration in the Levite in that he is becoming now a professional religionist, sort of selling himself for religious purposes for an annual salary of 10 shekels of silver and a new suit and his daily food. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his own sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite. The young man became his priest, and he was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now I know that Jehovah will do me good, seeing as I have a Levite as my priest. So it was, it was a mercenary thing. You know, I know I'm going to prosper now because I got a Levite for a priest. And that's the only reason why he wanted the Levite is so he could prosper. In other words, it was the idea of using God for gain. Paul speaks in the New Testament of the error of those who think that godliness is a way to gain. He calls it a pernicious doctrine. He said, turn away from such people who say that godliness is a way to get rich, that godliness is a way to prosperity, that godliness is a way to gain. Paul calls it an evil doctrine. Micah has that concept. Oh, God's going to prosper now. I've got a Levite for my priest. So he's, he's buying his way, in a sense, into prosperity in hiring the priest. Now, that is setting the stage for the rest of this story. You got now this Levite, young kid from Bethlehem, uh, as a, a professional religionist, the priest, personal priest of Micah and his house. Now, in those days there was no king in Israel, and the tribe of the Danites sought an inheritance to dwell in, for they were unable to drive the Philistines out of that territory of uh, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, and, and that beautiful uh, valley area. And they were only, had at this point, occupied a small little territory, oh, 20 miles from Jerusalem, 15 miles from Jerusalem towards Tel Aviv, uh, the little valley of Eshtol. But this whole territory was still occupied by the Philistines and they couldn't drive them out. And so they were beginning to look for another place to live. And so they sent out six men to sort of look out over the whole country to see if it, there isn't another place that they might move that the tribe of Dan might inhabit in order that they could have more territory for farming and all because that area that they had taken just wasn't sufficient for their needs. And so these men started north and they came to Ephraim to the house of Micah and they stayed there. And when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite. And so they turned in, they said unto him, what brought you here? And how much are you making in this place? And what are you doing? And he said unto them, Well, I came to Micah, and he needed a priest, so he hired me, and he gives me ten shekels of silver a year and a new suit, all my food. 
and I'm his priest. And they said, well, ask counsel of God for us that we might know whether we're going to be prosperous in our search. And so the priest said unto them, Go in peace before the Lord is your way wherein you go. In other words, go in peace. God is going before you, and he's going, to, he's going to prosper you in your way. So the five men departed, and they came to Laish. And they saw the people that were there, how they dwelt carelessly after the manner of the Sidonians. They were quiet, and they were secure, and there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame for anything. And they were far from the Sidonians and had no business with any man. So they found this city of people, they're layish. And the people were just uh, really living very carelessly. They didn't have business or, or trade with anybody else. They were a long way from Sidon. Actually, they were clear over the Lebanese mountain range from Sidon. And they were isolated, and, and really, they looked to be an easy prey. Now, they dwelt in a beautiful section of land. Right past the city, there flowed the Jordan River. And it was near the headwaters of Jordan, so there was no water pollution. The water was clear. It's great. And there's good farming territory around there. And it's just a beautiful valley, fertile valley. And they said, wow, look at this, you know. Be nice to live up here. So they came back to their tribe. And they described the place that they had found. Its beauty and its advantages. Oh, there's plenty of water good area to live and all, and it's beautiful. And it really is. It's one of the most beautiful places in Israel. And so they sent back an army of 600 men in order to take this city. And so when they came back to the Mount of Ephraim, they came back again to this priest. And these fellows went in and they said, hey, fellow, look, we need a priest, our tribe. Wouldn't it be better for you to be the priest over a whole tribe than a priest in just one family? We'll give you a better salary. So the young man went with them, but he ripped off the little idols and all that were there and took them with him. And so when Micah came home, he found that the idols had been ripped off. The priest was gone. And so some of his neighbors gathered together, and they were having a big conflict. They said, well, they went that direction. So Micah went chasing after him. And these guys are 600 tough guys heading off for war. And Micah came up and said, hey, what's the big idea ripping me off, taking away my priest and taking away my silver idols and so forth? And, and he was really laying it on them. And they said, hey, man, you looking for trouble? You might as well, you better go home. There's no sense getting hurt. And so he looked around and saw all these guys with their swords and everything else. So he decided to go home. Wisdom, the better part of valor. And so they went up with this young man and they came to Laish 
and they captured it. They destroyed the inhabitants. And the tribe of Dan, a good portion of them, moved on up and inhabited the upper part of this Hula Valley where the headwaters of the Jordan River come out from Mount Hermon. And thus that became the territory of the tribe of Dan, and the city was called Dan, and the river itself was then named Jordan, or out of Dan, because there is the headwaters of the Jordan River, and it comes out of Dan, and so the river became named Jordan, out of Dan. So that is just one of the little uh, stories that is told here. And the second story that gives us an insight to the confusion that existed, both civil and religious, during this particular time has to do with the story of a, a man who was a Levite. Now, again, in chapter 19, it says, It came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. Now, no king in Israel. You see, Israel was intended by God to be a theocracy. God wanted to be the king. He wanted the people to submit to his rule, to his reign. But the declaration there was no king in Israel meant that the people were not submitting to God. Thus there was confusion. Everybody was doing what he felt was right, and there was great confusion. These things that are told here are not told in a sense of condoning what's happening. In fact, they're told in the other sense of condemning what they're doing, but just showing the confusion that existed during this particular period of the history of the children of Israel. And the whole purpose is just to relay, actually, the confusion that exists during this period of time. So it came to pass there was no king. There was a certain Levite who also was living in Mount Ephraim, and he took him a concubine from Bethlehem, Judah. Now, this is wrong, that a priest should have a concubine. Not his wife, just a concubine. This is following, really, the pagan practices of the people that were around him, and even the priest. Now, his concubine left him, went out and was a prostitute, returned to her father, who was living in Bethlehem. And so after a few months, he was missing her, and so he decided to go back and talk her into coming back with him. They had a live-in relationship, living together without marriage. Some of the people today think they are so modern. So chick, you know. We're just living together. As, as though that were, you know, cheek, all right? Have it your way. C-H-I-C. Hey, this has been going on for a long time. You're old-fashioned. Nothing modern about that. Sin's been around <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> so he went back, he went down to Bethlehem where she had gone back to her dad to talk her into moving back in with him again. 
And her dad took a liking for the guy. And he was good in his sales pitch, and she decided to go back with him. But the dad said, ah, oh, you know, stick around, and, you know, let's just drink, and we'll have a good time. And so they drank and got evening, and, and the guy said, well, I better be, oh, no, you can't go tonight. Stay until tomorrow, you know, and you can get a start off tomorrow. So they, he stayed to the next day, and, and so they got up, and they started to celebrate again, and, and they kept drinking through the day, and came evening, said, well, I better be going. Ah, you can't go. It's getting dark. You know, you might as well wait until tomorrow and, and leave tomorrow. So he spent the night again, and, you know, it's the same old thing. And in the afternoon, he said, hey, I've got to be going. Ah, oh, no, no, spend the night, and tomorrow get up real early and get a good start. He said, no, hey, I, I, I've got to go. So he saddled up the two donkeys. He took his servant and the concubine, and they started back towards Ephraim. From Bethlehem. It was getting evening as they came to Jebus, which was later to be Jerusalem, about five miles from Bethlehem. We'll return with more of our verse by verse Bible study in the book of Judges on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Judges 17 through 19 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. And may the Lord work in your life this week in a special way. And may you experience God's hand upon your life as he trains, as he teaches, as he develops his work of love and grace within your life, as he prepares you for the future and for those things that he wants you to possess of his grace and of his glory. May the Lord strengthen you and cause your life to be a witness for him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Sometimes it's difficult to celebrate the holidays like Christmas or New Year's Eve because of a recent death in the family or a sudden tragedy that's happened. And it's in times like this that we want to be used by God to bring encouragement, hope, and most of all, love to our family and friends who are going through a hardship. 
That's why I'd like to tell you about a book by Chuck Smith called When the Storm Hits. I'm amazed when I read this book that it's able to encourage and strengthen a person and persuade them to look to Jesus and not at their problem. It encourages us to be patient, not to lose hope, and when the storm hits, to get anchored on Jesus, the rock, and don't let go. To order a copy of Chuck Smith's book, When the Storm Hits, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673, or you can visit us online to read a preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.